um, when I was in my 20s going through divorce. Just a couple years ago, Tracy and I were connected, or we were um, uh, we were selected for adoption. We had a, a boy, we called him Emmett, and then when she was diagnosed with cancer, the agency decided it would be better if, if we weren't his parents, let alone Tracy's diagnosis uh, of, of breast cancer. And so I see like these griefs that I've gone through. They all start coming up again as we start talking about grief. And, and I know for many of you, as we go through these next few weeks, it may stir up things for you as well. Grief still left undone. But I'm realizing, or I'm being reconfirmed again, is that grief and loss are parts of our lives and the question of how do we grieve well. So these next few weeks, I'm, <clears throat> I'm really reluctant to even talk about this because I don't want it to seem like I'm saying this is how you should do it because we all grieve differently. Some write, some spend time alone, some try to find other ways to medicate. Everyone tries to find different ways to grieve. So I'm not trying to say, here's how we should do it. I am saying here are maybe some helpful ways, some helpful things uh, to grieve. But I also hope that you're noticing that I'm not saying, here's how we avoid it, or here's the quickest way out. I'm saying, here's how we grieve well. This series isn't going to be, you know, 10 tips on how to minimize your pain. It's going to be, how do we well, how do we follow closer to Jesus through this? How do we how do we hope? How do we continue to move through grief with hope that one day God will use it redemptively in our lives? How do we move through grief in ways that makes us more human, more compassionate, more able to uh, have compassion, to suffer with others? I know everybody in this room has had grief. To love anyone is to risk losing them. And I know that everybody here has had grief. Some, are you, some of you are even grieving right now, even for things that you thought were long since dealt with. And maybe you've asked questions of, how do I get over this? <clears throat> or maybe, how do I get through this quicker? Can I just ignore grief and loss? But I think in our strongest moments, we ask, how do I grieve well? How do I do this well? Lord Jesus, I pray for your help. I pray that you will redeem this. So how do we do this? Well, as I've been thinking some about this, a place that I was led to was Jesus uh, and his grief for Lazarus. And um, if you would open up your Bibles to John chapter 11, verse 17, or if you want to, they're in the bulletin here as well. So Jesus' sisters, Martha and Mary, have sent word to him to come that their brother Lazarus is, is dying, that he is sick. Jesus come to help him. And Jesus purposely waits. And 
then decides, okay, now is the time, and he brings his disciples with him to go to Martha and Mary and to Lazarus. So listen to this. This is where we pick up the story. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already dead, or sorry, had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not be my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, I'm sorry, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? As I read this story, thinking about it this week. I hear for us permission to grieve. Even more than permission, I hear prescription to breathe, to, to grieve. Excuse me. Not only are we permitted, but we are prescribed. It is good for us to go through grief. And it's difficult though we often get pressure to grieve differently. Even from well-meaning friends, well-meaning people. Grief is uncomfortable. It's extremely uncomfortable when we are grieving. But it's even uncomfortable for people when they try to help us to, or often uncomfortable for people. Oftentimes people don't know how to handle their own grief, let alone the grief of someone else. And so they try to help us, right? And as Carmen was saying, people come and they, they often mean well, but will sometimes <laughs> say things that make you want to swear. Well, at least that's been my experience. <laughs> trouble is when people want to help us, sometimes they do things to really to, to set their or to deal with their uncomfortableness, 
to set them back at ease more than us. Or sometimes they even get frustrated with us. I've had conversations with a woman uh, who's um, connected with our church family here, and, and she said, you know, it's been years uh, since her husband died, and people still, she still is grieving. She still misses him. And even a few months after he was gone, people saying to her, you know, how long are you going to do this? Or even a year or two later, how long are you going to to grieve it? People get frustrated with us. And out of their own discomfort with grief, let alone our grief, the frustration bubbles up. The subtext being often, your grief is making me uncomfortable can you please stop? Even if it's that polite. Oftentimes it's not. The subtext being, you need to stop because this is bothering me. We get pressure from people, even well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, to grieve differently. But as I see, as I read this passage, this story, as I watch how Jesus interacted with these, with women, with Martha and with Mary, I see him giving us permission to grieve. <clears throat> Martha, she came to Jesus and, you know, theologically she was right on. You know, I, I know that, you know, he'll rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. But she was angry with Jesus. And maybe it was just subtle, but the first thing she said to him is, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, it's hard for me, like reading the text, to gain or to get a sense. You know, when you're with someone, you can feel the tension, you can feel their anger or frustration. So it's hard with the, with the with the passage here. But she's angry with him. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I know the right thing to say is that he'll rise again, and and Jesus speaks to her, but he doesn't chastise her. He doesn't even correct her. He tells her truth about who he is. But he doesn't pressure her to stop grieving, even though he knows what's going to happen, even though he knows what he plans to do, even though he knows, even if he were to do anything, that ultimately Lazarus would rise again through faith in him. But he doesn't pressure her. He doesn't tell her how to grieve or to grieve differently. But she goes and she gets Mary, and then Mary comes. And the only thing that Mary says to him is that if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I might be reading too much into it, but I think that she is even more angry than Martha is. She doesn't even try. She dispenses with the theological, um, trying to sound theologically correct. She doesn't even try to say, but I know he'll rise again. She just says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, Jesus doesn't chastise her. And he doesn't quote Romans 5. You know, God, don't worry, Mary. God works all things for the good of those who love him. I'm sure it will be fine soon. As true as that is, he doesn't quote that to her. He doesn't try to tell her to grieve differently. In fact, it says his heart was broken. I've been trying to get a handle on the word here. Um, the word in Greek, it often means... Um, 
to warn. Like Jesus, when the word is used, it usually means when Jesus warns someone to not tell others. And I can't help but think that in the, in the NIV they translate it as he was deeply moved in spirit. I'm wondering if the, the idea here is that Mary was angry with Jesus and he was broken hearted. He was broken hearted for her. And he was troubled as it says. So much so that Jesus wept. The famous shortest passage in scripture, Jesus wept. If Jesus, the Son of God, who knew everything that was going to happen, he knew what he planned to do with Lazarus, he knew that ultimately death, that he was going to defeat it on the cross, he knew all these things, yet he still wept. He still grieved. In this story, I see time and time again through Martha and Mary and even Jesus himself that we have permission to grieve. I say that because you know, oftentimes as Christians we get the idea or maybe we get the wrong idea that we're supposed to always be joyful. And I believe there's truth that there is, we can rejoice. We can be, have joy even despite our sorrow. That doesn't mean we have to put a plastic smile on our face and act like nothing bothers us. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have permission to grieve. In fact, as I read this story, not only do we have permission, we have prescription to grieve. And I say that because a tendency, or I see a lot of it, especially as I meet with families about uh, memorials for their loved ones. Sometimes there's a temptation to try and get around grief, to ignore it, to act like it's not bothering, to just never talk about it again. But I think with grief, the quickest way out usually leads back in. With something like grief, the quickest way out usually leads back in. And oftentimes when we least expect it, it might be years and something triggers us. Carmen, like you were talking about, like with your sister. You know, the grief that comes with that. And you think, man, I, I love my sister, but I think I'm dealing with more than just her death here. When we try to short-circuit grief, it always comes back around. But the other thing, too, I wanted to, to be careful of or to warn us of is the idea of to sit down in grief. <laughs> to park in grief, to, to stop there. I've seen it as well in people who horrible things happen and they live in that moment for decades in grief. And I'm wondering if there isn't a way between those two. So that we aren't denying, but also we aren't stopping in grief that we faithfully, and I don't mean faithfully like diligently or hard work at it, but that we follow Jesus, that we walk alongside him through grief, as long as that journey might be. That we move through faith, or sorry, we move through grief, grief with him. And I was 
thinking of this, um, as I've been reading about um, Jerry Sitzer, he was a professor where I went to uh, university. Uh, he's written a book on called The Grace Disguised. Um, it was before I started school there, but his um, he was traveling from a, a trip with his um, family, and he was hit by a drunk driver. And in that accident, I mean, most of his family was injured, but his his mother died. She was killed. His wife was killed, and his four-year-old daughter were killed. Three generations of his family were killed in that accident. And so he wrote, and, and as being a, reflectful, or a, a thoughtful and reflective guy, he wrote this book on his experience of that. And he talks about this dream that he had, this grief uh, like months just after, after the accident. And he talks about this, this dream that he was chasing the sun as it was setting in the west. And he said he was running faster and faster, but the sun was just outpacing him until finally the sun went down. And he said he saw, him, he saw himself as he was facing forward in this twilight until he looked back over his shoulder and saw the darkness coming at him. And he said in his dream he just sat down. And, and it, he talks more about the darkness. And, and, but later he had conversations. Um, one of them was with his sister. And... She was talking with him about, I mean, long conversation. This wasn't some trite comment, but talking with him about how oftentimes it's, we think like, oh, I'll keep chasing the light, the warmth and the light, and we just can't. She said, actually, the fastest way to get to the light is to go back east. The fastest way to get back to light is to go back east through the darkness. To enter into it, to follow Jesus through it. I can speak from my own experience at least that it's when we try to get around things that they keep coming up, but when we do our best, and that's all we can do is do our best to go through grief, I can see now how God uses that grief to work in us. That God works redemptively even in broken things, even things that we think Lord, how will you ever use this for good? How will I ever live? How will I ever recover from this? And I don't know that we, we ever fully recover. To recover would be to imply that we somehow get back to the way we were. We never do. But God works redemptively in us. That the new person we are, that the person that emerges having gone through grief is deeper, more compassionate, hopefully more faithful and more Christ-like. Today I hear for us permission to grieve. That as followers of Jesus, we don't have to look like we have it all together, that we too can grieve. I wanted to ask if anybody wanted to respond to this, about this idea of permission to grieve, even prescription to grief.